Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And welcome back to Menkind, where we chat to a range of brilliant guests about masculinity. Some of them are men, some of them aren't men, and some of them aren't particularly bothered either way. We're interested in men. Yes, obviously you are. And what makes them tick? Where does masculinity come from? How does it affect us? And how could we be better? We might not get a final answer, but we'll have a bloody good go at it. Won't we, Michael? Oh, we'll do our best. Well, hello. Another week, another Mankind podcast episode. I'm Michael, and Mark, I am reliably assured, is on the other end of the line. Hello, Mark. Yes, I, I certainly am. I mean, the way you put it, another week, another podcast, it sounds sort of um, slightly grim and quotidian, doesn't it? And yet we're pretty proud of it once again, I think. Yes, I think we are. Yes, quotidian. What does that mean? Is that, is that how you pronounce it? You know, as in a sort of uh, everyday routine. Oh, yes, I think I've only ever read that word. But yes, I think I would agree. It's not every day. This is a very ex- exciting, special day every week, right? Yeah, well, I, actually, one of the things people value about podcasts is that they do make up part of the fabric of the week. And I suppose that's not to be discouraged, actually. It's a, it's a nice, uplifting um, little landmark, isn't it? That's, that's what we are to people, an uplifting landmark, Michael. And we are actually talking to another uplifting landmark today, um, which is the lovely Jen Brister, who is the host of another podcast, produced by our lovely production company. Yes, Women Talking Bollocks uh, is called. Some listeners will already be familiar with it. I suppose to say she's the host is doing a, a disservice to the other two. It, it's sort of three of them, um, I suppose the phrase is rabbiting on back and forth. But Jen is certainly the, um, I'd say she's the most forceful voice of those three. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, she's the anchor, isn't she? The anchor of the group. Perhaps. She is the anchor in much the same way as you are in this group, Michael. Um, <laughs> so yes, we spoke to Jen who is, um, well, the mother of twin boys, among other um, masculinity uh, standards, but also just a very interesting, funny, learned person, of course. Yes, indeed. And she had a lovely office, which I was gazing into as uh, as she spoke to us. I was obviously listening to what she was saying, but it was a lovely colour coordination scheme. Not for the first time. This one was mostly about interior decorations for you, yeah. <laughs> well, enjoy. Well, another day in the life of me, Mark Watson, and Michael. Michael Chakraverty. Hello, Michael. Hello, I'm here. Hello. And also Jen Brister, I imagine. Hello, Jen. Oh, hello. This is lovely to be here on screen with you two. What a treat. It is a treat, although uh, our listeners unfortunately can't see the screen. They'll just have to imagine how nice we all look. I was just trying to move my screen away because you can see my washing up basket. Oh, I like your throw on your bed. That's really nice. That's a very nice colour, mustard. Yeah, I'm enjoying that. And matching with the pillows. You curate a nice space, Michael. Yes, I themed my whole house between navy and mustard. I felt that was two brave colours to go with. I think you've chosen well. 
Congratulations. I'm enjoying it. Thank you. And you also match your decor. You've got a kind of pastel yellow one, which matches the box behind you. Yes, I match my stationary boxes, which is, I think, <laughs> that's something that... I don't know if you're aware of this, actually, Michael, but actually that's what all lesbians do. We like to match our stationery. <laughs> um, it's a thing. Pass it on. And Mark, what have you done to match your interior decor? Hello, I am a street man in the hotel. I have a blue t-shirt <laughs> on. Uh, everything else is... Black or red or some other colour. <laughs> or metal. I feel like metal is the kind of colour that straight men use. Yes, I suppose the T-shirt matches my eyes, but that was not a conscious decision. But your coat is strewn on the bed behind you. Yes, there's a lot more disarray behind me than there is in your, as always, impeccable space, Michael. But luckily we're not here to talk about interiors. Except, well, <laughs> mental interiors, I suppose. I suppose, yes. And also we should find out who Jen is. Jen, how would you describe yourself for those who may not know you? Yeah. I would describe myself as a effervescent energy and ebullience okay i'm a stand-up comedian just in case this one does play out after tom rebusson by the way <laughs> yeah that's right to compete with tom and i immediately ran out of vocabulary no i'm a stand-up comedian and a writer and podcaster actually and podcaster uh, yes aren't we all though well the pandemic did make podcasters of the nation i believe yeah, exactly. yeah we held out for as long as we could but it just sort of in the same way that you caught the virus eventually you eventually ended up catching a podcast yeah. yeah they both actually happened very shortly after one another so yeah a direct consequence and where are you talking to us from i'm talking to you from my home in brighton oh brighton um, that is where i am to be honest with you i don't really know where uh, brighton is i'm assuming down from London. Michael does this sometimes. Michael, where do you live? He lives in Newcastle and he doesn't even really know where that is. It's up from London and down from Edinburgh. I absolutely know where Newcastle is. Jen, do you think there's something intrinsic to Brighton which makes it attractive to the gay community or is it just that because it's been like that for a certain amount of, is it a sort of chicken and egg question basically possibly which came first lesbians or brighton i suppose is the question exactly yeah sorry lions has got a great joke that we all end up washing up there eventually <laughs> yeah. just end up on the beach <laughs> should we ask jen about her uh well about some of the things the podcast <laughs> <laughs> jen when do you remember your first brush with masculinity being and what did that kind of look like for you well I've got three brothers so my brush with masculinity was immediate <laughs> so I grew up with boys and I didn't really have any girls around me so as early as as being conscious I suppose I've always been surrounded by boy energy so yeah I'm very comfortable around men actually and I really feel like I know how to um, do the bants if I have to in the green room <laughs> with the brothers older was there already kind of a masculine code in the house before you even... Well, I've got one older brother, but my younger brothers arrived quite quickly after me. Mm. So my mum had four children in five years. Oof. So I don't really remember consciously any time when there wasn't four of us. Mm. So, yes, there's always been a lot of masculine energy around me. What would you say that masculine energy kind of looked like or felt like to be around? Just a lot of very small dicks in my face. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm kidding. Early candidate for the podcast title there, I think. <laughs> what did it look like? I mean, look, I've got twin boys, actually. They're, they're, mm. My children are of the male persuasion. It's very it's a sort of maniacal energy mm. and very physical. So my brothers were very physical. And so everything was around sort of borderline violence, I would say. <laughs> Lots of fighting and I had to learn very quickly, I think, to hold my own. Mm. I'm older than two of them, so for quite a long time I was probably 
a bit stronger than them pre-adolescence. And I do remember when they sort of hit adolescence, their strength kind of tripled and that being quite sort of disconcerting. It was like, oh my God, you can easily overpower me. This is so frustrating. And I'd have to find ways of being able to get out of a headlock. Not all of us got that triple strength upgrade in that. <laughs> I must have missed school when they came around with that or something. <laughs> Mark, honestly, you would be surprised. I find a lot of men going, I'm actually a bit of a weed. And then actually, you'd be surprised what a little bit of testosterone does. Yeah, maybe this is hustle. Let's get a competition between you and Jen, so you can lift up the heaviest thing. Hey, and... Mark, we can do an arm wrestle. I'm very good with my left arm. Don't ask me why. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd probably destroy me at an arm wrestle. I mean, I'm also left-handed, so we'd have to go left on left. But I think, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'd defeat me. I've won very few arm wrestles in my life. <laughs> so fine, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. So when you went to school then, how was your relationship with other girls, I suppose, at school? You're surrounded by masculine energy so much at home how did that kind of impact your childhood at school in the playground I'm thinking well I think I sought out friends that were girls because I had so many had enough I'd had enough yeah (laughs) there weren't many boy vacancies left (laughs) I was like I don't need you I mean I very much remember being at school and wanting to be around girls and having some girl energy and I think it kind of is still the same now a little bit but particularly at primary school boys didn't play with girls So you had to play with girls. That was the thing. Mm. Boys play with boys and girls play with girls. And those were the rules. And it was very much like, oh, you want to play with the girls? Girls are boring. So I think even if I'd wanted to hang out with the boys, that wasn't an option. Do you think that is changing, Jen? Because you've got two boys that are younger than both my kids. I wonder whether that culture is just sort of a set in stone for all time, about boys play with boys. Because this generation already don't look at boys and girls as quite such an opposition. But I wonder if those instincts are still in the playground or whether now you'd see more mixed. In my kids' schools, I still feel like it's basically boys playing and girls playing and it would be a brave person that acts as a go-between. But I wonder if it will shift. Yeah, I think it is still the same. I mean, my son seemed to just play with boys. Well, one of them definitely would rather play with the girls, but he's sort of almost afraid to because of how it will look. Yeah. So I think... The optics. The optics, he's not keen on those. One of them's like really like there's trucks and guns and the other one's like oh i just want to play with my cuddly toys and talk about how i'm feeling so he'll be on a podcast (laughs) in 20 years like this yeah (laughs) oh for sure absolutely so yeah it's tricky i kind of say to him if you want to play with the girls you should play with the girls and he gets cross with me because i I, I do mama i do but he doesn't i know he doesn't so what's their relationship like if you don't mind me asking they're really close but i think as they've got older the things that they want to do are very different. One of them is a real nerd and he's decided that Star Wars is all he wants to play with and he goes down a rabbit hole of like wanting to like learn the names of every Star Wars character and put them in alphabetical order whilst also playing Lego and creating Star Wars spaceships that he's made up in his head. Well, the other one is like, that is the most tedious thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I brought all these cuddly toys out. You pretend to be a dog and I'll be the dog doctor. And Not until I've put the cuddly toys into alphabetical order. <laughs> Otherwise, it's an affront to my eyes. Exactly. Let me categorise these dogs first and then we can move forward with the game. (laughs) It's a shame, really, because when they were a little bit younger, they used to just play together, these imagination games, but now one of them's gone fully sort of linear in terms of his uh, choice of... games really interesting isn't it it's really interesting with twins because you know we have little control over how our children end up anyway it often feels like but which of you and which of your partner you've managed to give to each of the kids and what they've just concocted themselves is something you could wonder about forever i think yeah when they say that nature nurture thing i honestly thought oh it's a lot of it's nurture a hundred percent i mean i'm going to have a lot of impact and influence on my children and then i've realized (laughs) 
I actually have very little impact on my children's personality. They are who they are and I can influence them in terms of how they view the world or, or trying to create a moral compass for them. But in terms of who they are as people, I've got zero influence. They're just who they are. Mm. I find it very interesting when parents think it's more nurture. I'm like, no way. Yeah, I think you tend to lose faith in the idea that you can successfully nurture kids the longer you live with them, basically. You're right, you can give them a sort of way of seeing the world. You can't even guarantee that. No. <laughs> the best you can do is try to give them parameters to live between and hope that murderer and stuff like that is the other side of those parameters. But yeah, yeah the idea of nurture implies that every day you're able to sort of tailor these young minds and souls in the way you'd like. And yeah, it doesn't really work like that. Much more of it is dad's limitation, I think, and hoping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with that in mind, you mentioned moral compass earlier. What do you feel that like you can kind of give to your children, I suppose, in the terms of a moral compass, considering the world out there is, well, currently literally on fire and flooding everywhere? <laughs> but in terms of thinking about masculinity, how do you kind of instill the right kind of moral compass in a child, do you think? I think it's really difficult to do that. I thought before my children were born that that would be quite easy, that I would be able to direct them and guide them in a direction that I feel is kind of morally correct. But it is tricky. I think what I try to do for my children is just to constantly remind them that they are very fortunate, remind them of their privileges, remind them that they have a lot going for them that other people don't, remind them to try and put themselves in other people's shoes and I think that trying to nurture empathy is hard because I think in some cases <laughs> you either you either have it or, or you don't but you can yeah. sort of teach them you can train them to think beyond themselves and that's hard they're seven and of course they're completely thinking about themselves but one of them is a lot more emotionally intelligent than the other one and I think that that's what his personality is and I think the other one might just catch up a little bit later I think that's just yeah. they're very different in that respect the emotionally intelligent one is the cuddly toys is it the cuddly toy one is absolutely I would love it if you said the emotionally intelligent one is the truck one <laughs> yeah. I would have loved that that would have been great <laughs> the trucks and lists one the trucks and lists actually is really aware of what's happening in the room he's really connected it's just like I think I'm really sensing some tension between you and mummy. Can we talk about this? <laughs> One of them, if any voices are raised or they feel an argument coming, he steps in and he puts his arms out between us and goes, shall we have a cuddle? You know, so he's much more. Oh, so sweet. Shall we have a family cuddle? Whereas the other one, he hasn't got a bloody clue. Shall we keep this unit together? Yeah. You're making me feel unsafe. Shall we try to remember that <laughs> this is making me feel very sad? You mentioned your partner is a woman, which most listeners will either know or have worked out by now, is kind of an interesting dynamic with two female parents and two young males in the house. Well, I mean, we've already said that some of the way they grew up is well beyond your control anyway, but um, do you ever think about what they will, uh, what sort of influence they'll grow up with in a kind of all-female parenting unit, you know, as boys? Because not that many boys grow up with, you know, as female a force behind them as that. Yeah, I hope that the main thing is that they like women. Yeah. Um, mm. And they're not threatened by women. Mm. And they don't other... I think there's a lot of othering of each other, isn't there? And I think particularly when mm. I was growing up as a teenager, it was like, oh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, all that bollocks. And, and so we sort of really constantly focused on the differences rather than all the, we have way more in common <laughs> than not yeah that men are from mars thing and, and all those spin-offs oh it's so tedious like why women can't read maps and there's a whole industry of books as recently ago as 20 years really which yeah. were just predicated on the idea that you could 
split society down the middle, which doesn't look like that great an idea, actually, now. <laughs> I went down logistics. I was thinking, I don't think you can be on Venus, can you? Is Venus not one of the gassy ones? You would just go straight through it. You certainly couldn't live there. Otherwise, we would be trying to do that by now. I think you'd struggle on Mars as well. I think neither of them are very... I think so. But you could at least stand on Mars, I think. There's at least, like, solid ground. Oh, I see what you mean. So oh, you're saying you literally can't be from Venus? It's actual gas. Okay, I feel like Venus... I'm going to Google it just so I'm sure, because people will <laughs> write in, you know, people will write in. I feel like there's some solid ground there somewhere but might be surrounded by a gas that might not be breathable yeah it's not a proposition for the near future anyway but i uh, guess while you do your googling michael jen carry on <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> The point is it would be nice if there weren't so many artificial separations between men and women imposed on it. Yeah, and I think that they won't have that. Yeah. Because we're not, you know, we're not creating those conversations with our children. We're not feeding them that dialogue. We're, if anything, trying to constantly remind our children that, you know, of all the things that men and women have in common. And um, and they do say, both of them will do it. They go, oh, boys are better and girls are rubbish or whatever. And I'll be like, hmm, that's interesting because the two people that are looking after you happen to be girls. So do you want to maybe have a little mm. rethink about... Yeah, they're not in a strong bargaining position. Yeah, listen, I mean, if you're going to stick to this standpoint, we're going to have to have a really strong conversation about how many uh, puddings you get in the next week. Yeah, you're going to have to forage for them yourself since boys are so great. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's amazing though, thinking about young people in this day and age. By the way, quickly, Venus is made of gas, in case anyone was wondering. Don't want to leave people on that tenterhook. We're learning. (laughs) Young people growing up these days with queer parents or with any sort of parents, really, are more exposed to non-binary people, men and women of different types, of different sexualities, different genders. And surely through osmosis, being surrounded by people like that will change the worldview of those people growing up. I mean, there's people at schools that I know who have come out as trans at the age of seven, which would have been unthinkable oh, yeah. way back when. Absolutely. Just the presence, I suppose. Literally unthinkable. You wouldn't have the language to do it and yeah, nobody it... would acknowledge it as a thing. Well, I was going to say, you wouldn't even know how to express that you were trans yeah. when I was growing up. There would have been no possibility for that. And so... nobody would entertain it as an idea either because it just wouldn't be a no. thing. So we have come a long way. Yeah. So there is a diversity there, which is going to filter through, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's such a positive thing that, you know, it's not just going to be us as parents trying to feed that narrative that that as a society, those things are already in place and exist. And I think what is really important as well as parents is when I was young, when we talked about difference, it was we really sort of whitewashed over it. So I don't know if you can relate to this, but it was a lot about, oh, I don't see colour. I don't see difference. I'm, you know, I'm just so liberal. And actually, yeah. that's very unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Because if you don't see difference, then you can't acknowledge systemic inequality. Yes, it's quite a misplaced sense of liberalism that denies that there are differences, basically, because, as you say, then you're unlikely to be any use to anyone that might need yeah. your help because of your privilege. Exactly. You become very much part of that systemic problem. So even like beyond gender us being two women and and having two boys is constantly trying to remind our children that difference is not bad, that difference is good and that to celebrate difference and that, yes, you might see somebody, they might have a different colour skin to you, they might not be able-bodied, they might be transgender. Those things aren't negative, those things aren't less than, those things aren't othered, they are just difference and we celebrate difference and we're encouraged by difference and difference is a good thing because that's what makes us individuals and that's what makes us special. And I think that just trying to like ram that down their throats so that when they meet people that aren't like them, they don't feel threatened and then so therefore all of those kind of feelings that come up when we feel threatened which create prejudice 
hopefully don't occur, that they sit back and go, OK, well, you're just different to me. And if I don't like you, it's just because you're a prick, not because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're in a wheelchair. Everyone's different, but some of them yeah. still are pricks. Absolutely. You can still just be a prick. Yeah. <laughs> Someone can be a different colour skin to you, but you can still hate them, <laughs> but not for that reason. Not for that reason. <laughs> it's just because they're a bellend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you ever sort of consciously had a conversation with them about the fact that a lot of people don't have two mums or is that a conversation that's in the future or that is a point of difference between them and a lot of people are going to meet but they probably haven't necessarily thought about that much yet or oh, no they are aware of it and the conversation has been had and like most children they accept whatever you say so mm. we're fortunate in that we have a couple of other sets of friends who are two mums so they're not like oh why are we the only people that have two mums they've seen mm. other other children that have two same-sex yeah. parents and so all their understanding is is that some children have a mum and a dad and some children have two mums and some children have two dads and some children have one mum or one dad or whatever or grandparents. Which again is, you know, doesn't seem like difficult things to follow but that's still something which you're not allowed to teach in certain schools and which again wouldn't have been even 20 years ago, people writing children's books with that in were heavily censured. It's easy to forget how we've successfully normalised stuff, which there was a gigantic stigma around. But also easy to forget how dangerous and precarious the situation still is. I mean, at the time of recording, Don't Say Gay has just been published in Florida, where young people aren't, by law, allowed to hear about gay people or queer people. So it's amazing and it's brilliant how many steps we've taken. But I think it's also worth noting that we aren't there yet everywhere oh no we're certainly not there in the united states no certainly not but even in this country i think um did you guys see the daily mail article i mean the only reason i saw it is because it went on every whatsapp group where there was some sort of furore about brighton parents being told that they weren't allowed to say mum and dad they weren't allowed to say mum and dad they had to say grown-ups yes and apparently yeah parents in brighton and one of the schools that was named was my kids school apparently all of us as parents were in an absolute state of fury absolutely nonsense it was a non-story yeah this is a pathetic example of manufactured anger anytime a story or a headline starts with fury at you know there isn't any fury. there was none just and, trying to make it sound more exciting than it is yeah and all of these sort of parents were going have you seen this what is this this, this is a load of old rubbish i couldn't give a shit if they call me grown-ups it's not... <laughs> where's all the fury i want to join in with it <laughs> yeah and also the whole idea was it was about all these same-sex parents and us having to bend to the gays but actually it was to take into consideration that children yeah. that were in foster care or children that maybe were with their grandparents or children that didn't have parents. It was to be sensitive yeah. to those children. It wasn't about and the very idea that parents cared. It was absolute yeah. nonsense. And that whole, that's the thing that really drives me crazy about that newspaper is that they feed this sort of clickbait binary sort of ideology that we all are out to get one another when it's just it's not even a thing it wasn't even a story yeah there was a thing in Birmingham similar to that about um they were saying good morning everyone not good morning boys and girls and they weren't allowed to say things like oh man up or things like that and apparently that was a negative thing and it was a whole horrible thing and I was like surely there's bigger things to be focusing on and isn't it quite nice to say to a boy not to man up and say oh is your knee okay absolutely <laughs> you know if anyone <laughs> says to my kids to man up they're gonna get an earful from me yeah i mean saying good morning boys and girls is a bit weird anyway isn't it who gives a shit whether it's good morning everyone imagine spending your day laying out a newspaper page all about <laughs> how fucked up it is to say good morning everyone what on earth? <laughs> I mean, it was because they're tapping into the trans quote-unquote debate. But of also, course. it's not just um, about that, is it? It's saying you're creating a division inside a room of people. It doesn't need to be a division. Taking aside the trans debate, in quotes, which we shouldn't always have to do, 
But it's damaging to both boys and girls to set them in opposition to each other, surely. Isn't it easier yeah. to address the full room rather than saying, you're one side, you're the other? I agree. Of course it is. And everyone is the most inclusive word by definition that you can have. What's wrong with that? I've started saying everyone or people when introducing comedy shows because you can make sure... I like that... they, and gentle them. That's nice. Yeah, but I can't say gentle them. I can't do any of the twee ones. I have to just say... <laughs> Or folks. Folks is a nice gender neutral I use folks. folks. I'm always saying mm. folks. I don't know why. Yeah. I think any word that you can adopt which includes more rather than fewer people in the conversation should be just a no-brainer, really. No, it shouldn't be a cause of anger. And it isn't. This is what Jen said. There's no actual anger about this. Even in these newspaper offices, there's barely any real emotion about it. There is this, as you say, this endless conveyor belt of manufacturing whatever will get stories circulated. And it works. That's on every parent's WhatsApp thing. It's on... The number of times your social media is just people going, don't share this article, don't read it, don't look at it, forget it ever happened. And you think, well, yeah. the trouble is there are now 50,000 tweets like that. And yet again, the mail have got exactly what they exactly wanted. Exactly what they wanted, exactly. But there we go. While Twitter exists, we'll still keep doing that. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I read an interesting, I think it was an interview with you, about when, um, was it your partner that was pregnant with the twins? Yeah. When you explained to them that you were going to be having boys and their response to that kind of slagging off their unborn female children. Oh, the daughter. Yes. Yeah. Jen wrote a book about this, by the way, a very interesting book called The Other Mother. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's where it was. That's for the wider information of our listenership. <laughs> Could you talk through that a wee bit? I thought it was fascinating. Um, yes. Basically, we bought a house and we were trying to do it up. And so we were meeting with a builder and the builder took us around to another house to say, come and have a look at this house. I'd look at the work I did. And the woman that was there, you know, saw Chloe was pregnant. and was like, oh, you know, do you know what you're having? And we was like, oh, yeah, we're having two boys. And honestly, she literally shat the bed. She was like, oh, my God, that is amazing. Oh, I'm so happy for your company. You've got two boys. Oh, my God, you're so lucky. She went off into an absolute tailspin. My girlfriend and I are looking at each other going, all right, love, calm down. <laughs> then she sort of went, you've got two boys, and that is the dream team because that is absolutely what you want. <laughs> 
I mean, I was like, well, all girls is fine. Truthfully, I wanted one of each. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, yeah, well, two girls would have been great for me. I'd go one of each if it was a free choice, I think. But there you go. Yeah. Yeah, we were really hoping one of them was going to be, and one of them, when we did the ultrasound originally, we couldn't find his wink was being hidden, so we couldn't see it. So we thought we were having a boy and a girl, and then the second ultrasound, oh. it was like, no, so sorry, you've got two boys. No, there's another penis after all. I'm afraid two penises are inside you. <laughs> another contender for a title of episode. <laughs> <laughs> like that thing about everyone has two wolves inside them, but it's with penises. <laughs> it was the, I'm afraid that they did it for me. <laughs> I must apologise to you, madam, but there are two. <laughs> so anyway, she was like, oh, well, you know, I've got one of each. And then she said, oh, my daughter, oh, she's an absolute bloody nightmare. You know, girls are so hard to read. They're really manipulative. Do you know what I mean? That you can't connect with them. They don't cuddle you. They don't cuddle you. But my son, oh, he's so lovely. I adore him. He just, he's always there. And she's saying that as a woman, incredible. I mean, and that was it. I just couldn't believe that she was saying this to me. And she's saying it to Chloe. I was looking at her going, and I said to her, well, actually, uh, you know, I, I wanted two girls. She went, no, you don't. You don't. You absolutely don't. You absolutely don't. You want two boys. You're lucky. You'll wait. You'll be so glad you've got two boys in five years' time. And I was like, oh, just shut up, you stupid woman. <laughs> I didn't say that. My sisters are twin girls, and if they're manipulative, then they're playing a very long game because they're in their 30s now. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not conscious of having been particularly used as a puppet. It, that's the sort of, I don't know if the phrase is internalised misogyny or what. Oh, absolutely. Well, it is. But like, yeah. Imagine being a woman and talking about your own daughter and saying, what a shame I've got a daughter and how lucky you are to have two. So it's mind-boggling, really. It was mind-boggling. And that sort of internalised misogyny is why her daughter is going to have an absolutely horrific adolescence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and once again, have a podcast. You watch. Yeah. Or be a stand-up. Yeah, exactly. Or be a stand-up. How do you think we combat that? That kind of blatant internalised misogyny. I mean, it's hard to say where it comes from. I mean, there's probably myriad sources, but but how do we fix that, Jen? Can you fix it for us now? Oh, my gosh. Just quickly. In- <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to have a bit of self-awareness, don't we? We need to be self-aware as women about the fact that we all carry internalised misogyny, every single one of us. And if you don't think you do, then you absolutely do. <laughs> you need to sit, sit down and, and acknowledge that and recognise that. And do our very best not to project it onto other women, which we do. All of us have done it. And the fact of the matter is we are all hypercritical of each other and that we are the least kind to one another. When we talk about misogyny, there is a great deal of misogyny, but the patriarchy creates toxic masculinity, which actually, yes, it's toxic to women, but actually it's more toxic to men than anything. And the same thing with internalised misogyny. Misogyny is more damaging from women in so many ways. I mean, obviously structurally, misogyny exists and because of the patriarchy but we could do well as women to help each other up there is particularly in comedy I think it's changing the narrative has changed but certainly when I started it was like there's one space for a woman and you better hope it's you yeah and then if it is you don't start drawing attention to other women because then you might lose that place you know, we are very much taught that there's only one space for us and that we shouldn't be helping one another. And that is misogyny. Yeah. That is misogyny right there. And I think just being self-aware and catching yourself when you can hear yourself saying that, or when you can feel those insecurities that feed into that narrative and to stop them and go, hang on a second, that's bullshit. That's not true. There's actually room for lots of women in this industry because we're all doing and offering a unique voice or something different. Yeah, we've spoken about this a bit with other female comics on here. I feel that the unity between women comics now is, you know, really robust. I mean, maybe there are loads of internal tensions that you don't know about if you're not on WhatsApp groups, but it feels to me like women 
are very supportive of each other in comedy these days. Yeah. Because there are more of you for a start. There is now no sense that you're all scrapping for one or two. Yeah. Or maybe not no sense, but it really does feel like this is a golden time for live comedy for women, apart from there'll still be resistance from men because, uh, you know. Well, I mean, we can't worry about them. <laughs> but it's interesting what you said, though, like that sense of competition and like antagonism between female comics wasn't created by women so much as created by men, right? And then women's response to that when you were starting out was to sort of fight internally, that thing of dividing and rule. And, and now that doesn't have to be the case because men don't shape the industry in quite the same way as they used to. Yeah, absolutely. And also the women that were shaping it that were also consumed with internalised misogyny wouldn't book women. Yeah. They've sort of fallen by the wayside as well. And we've got this new generation of men and women who want to create a really diverse comedy network and circuit. Yeah. And so you are going to see, you know, lesbian, gay, trans, black, white, Asian, you know, you're going to see a real mix of comedians coming through. And that is the exciting, that's really exciting to see. And I'm talking about possibly maybe less women that are in their 20s and 30s and more women that are in their 40s and 50s. It's our responsibility to catch ourselves when we fall back into that sort of cycle of, oh, well, she only got it because of blah, blah, blah. It's really easy to trip into that and just to have that self-awareness and, and pull that back. Complete side note, we're going to go elsewhere now. That was lovely. I felt like that ended there quite nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um, we ask all of our guests about role models. It can either be when you're growing up or now, perhaps, but are there any role models who are men that you, yeah, that you look up to or looked up to? Well, okay. So when I was growing up, there weren't really many male role models. I certainly, sadly, couldn't use my father as a male role model and there weren't many other men around when we were growing up as kids. Your brothers weren't exactly role models probably because they were too busy no. hitting each other and getting their dicks out. Yeah, they were too busy getting their dicks out and getting me in a headlock. Not really role model behaviour there. Not really. Uh, not at the same time, I hope. Often, actually, yeah. Had to constantly wear goggles. Um, <laughs> and protective equipment. Yeah, and I was wearing a face mask way before it was in. <laughs> I suppose, like, growing up, you know, especially when I sort of became a little bit older, maybe into my adolescence, I genuinely, someone like Nelson Mandela, that was huge for me. And after everything that he'd gone through and to see him end apartheid, I mean, obviously not single-handedly, but being the leader, the figurehead of the anti-apartheid movement and everything that he'd suffered and everything he'd gone through and to see him come out as an elderly man and to lead South Africa, obviously it's all gone to shit now, but that moment, that moment of optimism, I think was really big and I was slightly obsessed with him. I thought he was incredible. I was very sad when he died. Obviously, he was like, oh, you know, 110. It was it was bound to happen. But um... Yeah, he won't have been that sad when he died either. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of qualities in Nelson Mandela were there that he kind of looked up to? I just think that fearlessness and that bravery and, you know, having that... I suppose he had a certain amount of dogma, didn't need to believe in the anti-apartheid movement, but mm. also that pragmatism to be able to, when his moment came, when he could have put the boot in, to say, no, this is a time for forgiveness. This is a time for us to unify mm. as a country. Mm. This is a time for us to heal. Um, I thought was... Yeah, that sort of softness wrapped up in fearlessness is not a combination you see too often, is it? Yeah, and also for many years being treated as a terrorist and to be treated as a criminal mm. and to come away and to lose a big chunk of your life... Yeah. I've been to South Africa, but if you go to where he was imprisoned and you see where he spent those 20-odd years, I mean, it's just grim, just a rock in the middle of the sea, just, like, awful. Yeah, all of those I just... The kind of thing that you cannot imagine ever being able to do yourself. <laughs> because let me tell you, if someone imprisoned me for 20 years and took away my freedom and also subjugated my race for my entire life, I would not be coming out going, 
oh, let's just... I'd be like, right. Yeah. <laughs> My turn. My turn. <laughs> Goggles on everybody. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? We talk about role models to mean lots of different things on this podcast. I mean, he's a role model in that you and I can admire someone like that without having the slightest sense that we could do any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. You can only take the tiniest examples of his behaviour into your everyday life, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's almost godlike, isn't he? Yeah, like if you have to wait in a A&E for two or three hours, you can say to yourself, well... This is the equivalent of Mandela being incarcerated for 20 years. But, yeah, exactly. But for some a mortal like me. Yeah. Sat in waiting for a Hermes delivery that may never come. This is my Mandela moment. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we've all been there. That is a nightmare. I empathise. <laughs> I suppose that's the trouble with having a godlike role model. You can't be godlike yourself. So you just have to take whatever slivers of inspiration you can and try to build that into your everyday life a bit. Yeah, exactly. You know, as I've got older, there's more men that I admire and what have you. But when I was growing up, I was really exposed to lots of men in that regard so it's, it's harder for me to come up with someone that's closer to me in my life mm. who do you look up to now it doesn't need to be a man it could be anybody <laughs> who do i look up to now well that's a tricky one i suppose i look up to people that have something that they believe in and they stick to it you know there's lots of people that you see i suppose like writers and that you see on television that when they come on i'm just really interested to hear what they have to say i don't know if i necessarily would do i look up to them i suppose in a way i do because i respect them enough to hear what they have to say so i really love reading alan de botton i would deliberately seek out a podcast if he's talking on it because i find him fascinating and i find what he has to say really interesting and i feel like he's very sort of wise you know, in a way that his uh, philosophy and his take on humanity is really interesting. In a similar way, although this is, might be slightly more controversial, I also would say the same about someone like Malcolm Gladwell. I do read a lot of his books and I like to hear him, but everyone always says that he pinches other people's ideas, so that's probably not. <laughs> All philosophers do do that, though. They have to. Exactly. Again, I find that he has a really interesting mind and I listen to all of his podcasts and I read his books and uh, so yeah I guess I look up to both of those men really and they're both thinkers and I think because I am not an academic and I'm not a cerebral person I seek out cerebral minds that can do the thinking for me and then they can make me because I'm very curious but I don't have my brain doesn't work in that way so I'm always really excited to hear from people whose brains do work that way yeah I love thinking about things like that you listen to someone's opinion or their thoughts and it might be that you agree with them and go oh yes finally that feels articulated in a way that I've never heard before but that's how I feel or you might disagree and I find the disagreements in your mind more interesting because you kind of start to interrogate yeah. a thought a bit so I completely agree with you there's people I look out like that yeah I'm not sure what I feel about Gladwell but I do feel on the whole that when people get criticized for having either rehashed ideas or just stating the obvious it's because that is sort of a skill in itself a lot of the time wisdom doesn't present itself as oh I never thought of that it's more as you say Michael things you deep down did think but never seen laid out the best self-help book I've ever read began by saying everything in this book is stuff you already know but you just need reminding of it yeah. and I think that's how I feel about people like Dubotton and things it's not about having your mind blown it's just about having things teased out of your mind that were already there maybe. yeah absolutely and they're both really thoughtful men and articulate again in a way that I'm not I wouldn't be able to articulate a lot of what they're saying and, and actually sometimes you know with Gladwell in particular he'll be saying something and I'm like I, I actually actively disagree with everything you're saying but I'm still enjoying it I'm still enjoying hearing his argument yeah. to an extent I wish that's something we could all do a bit more of I think we could all do with a little bit more of listening to those we don't agree with and kind of working out why you don't agree with them rather than the knee jerk of you're awful I hate you never going to speak to you again <laughs> yeah exactly. obviously there are caveats when it comes to some things that shouldn't be um 
well, the trans debate, for example, there's lines that need to be drawn in terms of what's offensive and what's not and what's up for discussion and what shouldn't be. But I think we could all learn a bit more from disagreeing carefully and disagreeing thoughtfully. Yeah, it's not easy, is it? I follow quite a lot of people on Twitter that I instinctively disagree with on a lot of stuff. And it is a healthy exercise, but then now and again... You made a lot of eye contact with me there, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I can't easily unfollow you without it being a thing. <laughs> and trust me, it would be a thing. We'd be getting our goggles on immediately. <laughs> oh, I think you'd notice, yeah. But uh, yeah, the caveat is sometimes that person that you disagree with tweet something where you think right uh there is healthy disagreement and then there's me thinking you're an absolute dick so yes disagreeing carefully is a good phrase i think Michael. yeah well i'll coin it exactly i think we're moving on to our final question which is a shame because it's been a lovely conversation but we ask everybody to think about three qualities that they would build into a man and i suppose it's quite apt considering you're sort of doing this times two at the moment if you could choose three qualities to sort of push into somebody for them to thrive in the world we live in, what would you choose? And we've established you can't because we've yeah. got no control over what our children do grow up like. But still, Absolutely. So really, the question doesn't really matter. <laughs> Imagine parenting was a manageable task. What were three qualities would you choose? I think for my boys, I would love for them both to develop some empathy. That would be a really important thing. And mm. I think if you have empathy, then a lot of the other stuff will come with that, that sort of moral compass. All of that will come with being yeah. an empath. Yeah. Sense of humour, of course. You've got to have a sense of humour. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself, laugh at the world, make other people laugh. What a gift, Mark, right? What a gift. Oh, we're so valuable, Jack. We're so <laughs> valuable in society today. <laughs> when Armageddon comes, they'll all be coming to us. You wait. They'll be flocking to us for the final... We'll do a solid 30 for the final 30 minutes of civilization. <laughs> you have to hope that final joke has to land if it's going to be the last it's joke of the time. It's... A lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, and also often it's a callback and if the callback doesn't work, you're absolutely screwed. <laughs> uh, and I would love for them to have some self-confidence, not in a way where it's sort of obnoxious, but to believe in themselves so that whatever it is that they decide to take on in their lives, that they can achieve it. So empathy, sense of humour and just some self-belief. And um, they can go out and achieve anything. That's a lovely place to end. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. This has been fun. Uh, where can people find you or listen to you or see you or hear you? Yeah. Mention your book as well, because it's really good. Well, you can buy my book, The Other Mother by Jen Brister in bookshops and online and all that sort of jazz. You can find my socials. It's Jen Brister Comedy, I think, on um, Instagram and Facebook and Jen Brister on Twitter. And I also do an Impatient Productions podcast called WTB Women Talking Bollocks with Maureen Younger and Alison June-Smith, which I would love for you to listen to. It's super, super fun. It's really good. I mean, I hear, I hear every episode. <laughs> you do hear every episode. I'm sorry, Mark. I'm really sorry about that. There have been slightly more of those than there have of mankind as well. If you've never listened to Women Talking Bollocks, there's a load to catch up on. Treasure trove. Yeah, there's loads. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jen, for joining us and we'll hopefully speak to you soon. Oh, thanks, guys. It's been lovely. There you go. That was the clever and fearsome and funny Jen Brister. And um, if you'd like to hear her talking on sort of um, more widely ranging subjects than uh, masculinity and so on. Well, there are a few ways. She's on tour. Uh, there's the Women Talking Bollocks podcast, which we mentioned beforehand. Uh, and we're also making a, a radio show, a one-off radio show with her about um, her insane habit of going swimming in the sea and uh, freezing her bits off. Um, but it'll be I'm, I've simplified it it's also about the philosophy of it anyway uh, you can get you can actually get tickets for the recording of that if you live near or in Brighton and you'll be able to listen to it soon of course when it's on the radio and uh, basically if you just go to the Impatient website you can find out all these details or for details of Jen's touring 
I suppose Google Jambrista or Google me and find a link to Jambrista. I'm, I'm keen as ever for the click. <laughs> and also, if you'd like to see Mark and you aren't in Brighton, which seems to be very specific for that recording, uh, Mark has a lovely uh, Prime special, don't you? Yeah, it came out uh, this very week. Of course, there's the slight risk that if everyone watches that, nobody will come and see me live again. But let's let's not worry too much about that. Let's just basically hoover up absolutely everything I've got to offer, whether it's online or <laughs> on screens or in person, because I am goddamn worth it. Thanks, Michael. That's very good. That was very good. You started off quite tentative there with asking people to watch it, but you kind of you kind of grew in, in pride as you went, which was nice. Well, if, if you look at Amazon themselves, they're not exactly uh, wallflowers, are they? And look how well they've done. So maybe you do have to be aggressive sometimes. Yes, and some people will do will come and see your show two or three times. I mean, I've seen your shows two or three times, and I still laughed on the third. I heard you. Yeah. Yes, there are <laughs> luckily people listening to this podcast who are extremely loyal. So there you go. I'm off to my super yacht. And um, well, we'll we'll uh, we'll hear you next week, or you'll hear us. Well, yes, we'll see you in your ears then. Goodbye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.